This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Bama Online Podcast, this one coming to you on a Sunday afternoon in the midst of March Madness 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by veteran of the Alabama Beat, Charlie Potter, does an outstanding job for us there at BamaOnline.com, covering the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Charlie, as we look ahead to the second round of this NCAA tournament, Already on this Sunday, we've seen a major upset of note as Loyola of Chicago, an eight seed, takes out a top seed, a one seed in the University of Illinois. But even before this Sunday, this day, we had already seen some pretty big upsets of note. And with that, I think Alabama's win over Iona ends up looking better and better with each passing game, especially after you see Texas go out late Saturday night too. Yeah. I mean, March came back with a, with a vengeance really for those top seeded teams. And, uh, we were talking about it before we started recording, um, you know, Alabama side of the bracket, especially it's road to the lead eight and they have to go through a 10 and then the winner of an 11 and 14 seed matchup. So, uh, Alabama has kind of been the beneficiary of some of these upsets. Now, of course, they have to keep winning and they're going to have to you know, clean some things up. I don't think Nate Oates is very happy with what they did offensively. But you know, like I said a second ago, March Madness is back and the, the madness has been in full effect to start this tournament. Yeah, it wasn't the prettiest of wins for Alabama over Rick Pitino and Iona on Saturday afternoon. But it ends up being a 13 point victory for the Crimson Tide. I thought Nate talked about it a little bit in the post game. Maybe there were some opening round jitters for this Alabama team, because again, when you consider the experience of this team where the NCAA tournament is concerned, not, not substantial. Uh, I wouldn't say, uh, you've got a veteran coach and Rick Pitino and a really solid Iona basketball team. They give Iona credit, uh, Gist, Ross, Joseph, that trio, sort of Iona's version of a big three, you know, they did a lot of what they needed to do, especially Ross in the first half. He he went off in the first half, but second half it seemed like Herb took more of a, a center stage approach to defending Ross, and that was big. But, you know, Herb ends up with 20 on the offensive end, uh, Shackelford with 10, uh, Petty with ten uh, with ten himself, but it, it was a it was a tough ten because uh, as we know, once again he struggled from the field. And so with that, I ask you, Charlie, how sustainable is this team's tournament run if John Petty doesn't find range at some point here in the next game or two? 
Yeah, they're going to need him to step up. And, you know, that was something that NATO has talked about after the game is that uh, obviously he's in a slump when it comes to shooting. And as a shooter, that's not always the best of news. But, you know, Petty was still able to score in double digits. Um, he was able to do some things. I think he led the team in rebounding with seven. Uh, he won the hard hat award, which is given out after every game. And, um, you know, I think that he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. That's something that Oath said afterwards. And you talk about the uh, the jitters. I mean, pressure's you know in the same boat there. And um, I think Petty's well aware of his recent slump. And again, yeah, it's like you said, it's something that Alabama wants to kind of put in the past so they can you know make a run here in the tournament. Again, I mean, it it sets up nicely with the the matchups they have coming up. But you know, if Petty continues to struggle, um, you know, you, we don't know when Josh Primo will be back. And that's that's two guys that they've relied on uh, from an offensive standpoint this season that you aren't getting it done. So you're gonna need all hands on deck moving forward. I mean, as they uh, progress through this tournament, but you know, it was also good to see a guy like Alex Reese who's been yeah. in a shooting slump as well. I mean, he hit he only attempted two shots; they were both threes, and he knocked them down. And, and they came in big moments in that game. So you know, Petty is only one of a handful of guys that have played in the NCAA tournament and he did put a lot of pressure on himself. He's gonna have to, you know, shake that off. Um, you know, but Reese and, and Herb, they're both guys that have that have been in the NCAA tournament before as freshmen and they both stepped up in, in big moments. Reese, Gary, and Quinterly off the bench were big on yeah. Saturday. This team was down I think it was forty three forty with about twelve minutes left in the game. Uh, Gary comes up with a big bucket. Reese hits a three. You're right. Reese only took two, but they felt like he made five or six because of when they came. And then Quinterly, his ability, as we know, and we've seen time and time again, uh, when this team needs a bucket, there just aren't many guys, many defenders in college basketball, if any right now, um, that if you're going to respect the three-point line, in terms of the potential for the kickout off the drive, you're just going to have a hard time keeping this guy from getting into the paint and then to the bucket. And Quinterly with 11 more on Saturday. And again, the Alabama bench was big. Gary, uh, very big in 16 minutes or so. And uh, you just continue to love the production you're getting out of him. And you're right about Petty because give him credit for all his woes right now in terms of shooting the basketball. And you really start to think it's a confidence issue because when he can't make free throw, he was three of eight from the free throw line. You start to really worry about it being a, a, a confidence thing, a mental thing, maybe more than anything, but uh, no confidence lacking for Javon Quinterly when he's in there. Uh, and it should be very efficient. Five of seven uh, shooting the basketball on Saturday. I did miss both of his free throw attempts, but, you know, kept turnovers to a, a nice clean one uh, in the game and, you know, had two assists. So, you know, all in all, if you're Alabama, it's an experience you can benefit from moving forward. And again, when we talk about this tournament to this point, Charlie, I mean, you've got the state of Texas with five teams still in this thing. And one of them isn't the University of Texas. Texas Tech still in it. Houston still in it. North Texas, Baylor. And Abilene Christian, how about that, knocked off the Texas Longhorns. And I really felt like going into this tournament, Charlie, I'm on record. I felt like Texas would probably pose the biggest challenge to Alabama before the Final Four. But as you talked about earlier in the pod, 
I mean, you're looking at a 10 seed coming up in Maryland that looked really good, by the way, against UConn. Looked really good. Uh, and then potentially an 11 or a 14 in UCLA and ACU. I don't think you could have asked for a better route at this point. No, I know just you know, looking at the message board and, and perusing Twitter, a lot of people didn't want to see UConn in the second round for a matchup for Alabama. And they got their wish with Maryland, and there's some familiarity with that. Of course, Maryland has you know former Alabama center Galen Smith. I'm sure that's going to be a storyline uh, later on Sunday and going into Monday about this matchup. But you know the Terps you know, have got the job done whenever they can. They're they're you know going to be one of the last Big Ten st- teams standing when all is said and done. Just because we you know you mentioned um, you know the the Loyola Chicago. Um, upset over Illinois that the Big Ten has been struggling a little bit in the tournament and um, you know the Maryland will look to to carry the torch there but just for Alabama um, it is setting up really nicely you know to not have to face Texas potentially in the Sweet 16 is is something that I think you know people kind of breathe a sigh of relief of course you have to get through this round of 32 matchup but it is setting up nicely for Alabama and um, you know they're going to need those guys to step up to get out of slumps but um, you know, I think that, that, like you said, they can use this as a, as a teaching moment. Um, you know, a lot of guys that usually don't miss free throws, miss free throws in this game. Maybe it's that first game jitters. I don't know what it is, but you're typically not going to see that on back-to-back nights. And you know, Alabama is a team that is capable of knocking down a bunch of threes. And in this game, I think they only attempted 16 you know, they're a team that's, that's yeah. made 16 in some games. So you think the shooting is going to come. Um, you know, the the free throw shooting is not going to be as poor as it was. They shot 57%. And, uh, you know, you, you you think that a guy like Petty can come out of this slump and some other guys can, you know, provide some more things offensively. But if, um, you know, with, with what they have coming up, um, it's more manageable than it was. But it's, it's still going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah, you're right. They only took 16 threes. That's half of what we often see them attempt in a game. And then on top of that, they went 11 of 24 on layups. So one or the other has got to pick it up here as we move, or both preferably, as we move through this tournament. You mentioned Maryland and the obvious storyline there with Galen Smith, the former Alabama player, now a Maryland Terp. Galen averaging 3.7 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, playing 14 minutes per contest. But watching some of Maryland against UConn, you didn't have to watch a ton. Eric Ayala, 6'5 guard for the Terps, was exceptional against UConn. Had 23 points, really did it inside and out, Charlie. This is a guy at 6'5 that can take it off the dribble. And then he also knocked down three threes in that win over UConn. And when I see a 6'5 guard, I immediately think about one guy in terms of defending that type of player, and that's Herb Jones. So I would think that matchup is certainly going to be one to keep an eye on Monday night. Herb Jones on Eric Ayala for Maryland. (laughs) You said it about the Big Ten, man. I mean, I still think of Maryland. I'm an old fart. So I still think of Maryland as an ACC team. I I have to catch myself still. And then you've got Rutgers. I mean, so you've got a Big East X and a ACC X that uh, by the time we get to Monday night or so, it might be uh, those teams carrying the, the flag for the for the Big Ten, but uh, obviously you still got Michigan. And, you know, we talk about Alabama's bracket and the path that it has now. Man, you look at the top of that bracket right now, Charlie, you're going to have Michigan LSU, one versus eight, 
and then another war with Colorado and Florida State up top. So again, uh, if you're Nate Oates in Alabama, there's probably some pressure because everyone's expecting you now to sort of ease into the Elite Eight. Uh, but those four teams up at the top, it, it's going to be it's going to be Sweet 16 Elite Eight caliber games. You got to think just to get to next weekend. Oh yeah, no doubt. The top of the bracket is is loaded, and you know, it's, it's setting up for a potential Alabama LSU rematch, a fourth game of the season, which um, would be very interesting. But you got to think too with these teams, like you said, those are going to be you know Sweet Sixteen level um, games and competition there, and they're going to beat up on each other pretty good. So if Alabama Alabama is able to to maneuver, you know, this current stretch it's on uh, with with the Maryland game on Monday, and then a, a matchup with the winner of UCLA and Abilene Christian, um, it could be setting itself up nicely because Michigan has no um, small task in facing LSU. You know, Colorado and Florida State should be a, a fun matchup, and then the winner of those games have to play each other. So um, at that point, you could be you're facing a team that's that's been through a gauntlet of sorts, and you know maybe be a little fresher on on, on Alabama's end. So the bracket, the way that it's um, played out, I mean we've we've harped on it. it it's setting it up very nicely for Alabama. But um, you know, if, if they're able to get to the Elite Eight, and they're going to be facing a tough team coming from that top end of the bracket. Going to have a loaded Monday of Alabama basketball because to get things going at 11 a.m. on Monday, the Alabama women's team, Christy Curry's bunch, uh, making its first NCAA tournament appearance on the women's side since 1999 going to take on North Carolina. So early and late for Alabama fans on Monday with the women going against the Tar Heels early and then a late night with Nate Oates and the Alabama men's team as they take on the university of Maryland. So, uh, should be a fun, fun Monday of basketball where Crimson Tide teams are concerned. We're going to take a break. When we come back on the Bama Online Podcast, we're going to talk some football. Day one in the book, spring practice, 2021. First time in a couple of years that we've been able to say that about spring practice, Charlie. We'll talk some Alabama football with Charlie Potter when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast, this one on a Sunday as we move Through the early rounds of the 2021 NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments, but we definitely want to talk some football with you. We have a practice under the belt of this Alabama football team following Friday's workout over there at the Hank Crisp Indoor Facility. Sounds like, Charlie, uh, wet conditions uh, forced Nick Saban and his team indoors to get things going, and as is the case, uh, helmets and shorts. So we get really excited about day one, but at the end of day one, I guess it's still mostly about who practiced and, and who didn't as much as anything. 
Yeah, I mean, given that this is the first time that, that we've talked to Nick Saban, really since the, the NCAA championship, um, you, you, we talked to him on signing day, but that was more about the guys coming in. So since the national championship, um, you know, this is really a, a housekeeping day. Um, you know, they are in shorts and, and, and helmets, so they're not just doing a bunch of, of hitting or anything like that. But you know, he comes out in, in, in his opening statement and says that several guys are going to be um, – limited or basically not participating at all and that includes some some big names malachi moore uh phil mathis john mechie emil ekior and, and pierce quick were the ones that he named um you know we know that malachi moore you know missed the college football playoff with his respective injury john mechie i believe was dealing with an ankle pierce quick uh, missed a lot of last season with a back issue and then you know phil mathis and emil ekior those are a couple of guys that are key cogs on the defensive and offensive lines respectively so you know big contributors there guys that could be um you know in the mix this spring uh but he also provided some positive updates and um not in the, the sense of you know the COVID world but just in terms of guys that are doing better and, and one was good to hear in trey sanders that was somebody i had you know kind of teed up to, to ask about later in the press conference but in his opening statement you know, Nick Saban said that um, Sanders has actually been doing some work. Uh, I think he does some individual drills, and you know, he's making good progress and can you know uh, run on dry land now because before we had just seen him on that anti-gravity treadmill. And uh, he's not 100%, uh, but he's getting there, and you know, I think they're, they're happy with his progress. And to see him even in the practice video, that's good to see because you know, that, that wreck last year, um, you know, the immediate aftermath, you know, we were told that he was going to be fine. You know, it wasn't you know, something life altering, but we found out that it was a pretty significant uh, hip injury there. And then finally, uh, later on in the press conference, he was asked about the, the inside linebacker position and he was talking about Shane Lee and, um, you know, what he dealt with last year. Basically, he had a sports hernia issue. And you know, I saw people in the, the roundtable um respond to the story and and asking like why did we not know this well Shane Lee played last year he played in five games I believe and he wasn't going to play ahead of Dylan Moses so it's not like you know Shane Lee missed the entire season and we didn't report anything on it but it was something he dealt with and a lot of times that doesn't even come to, to light until right now or maybe even not at all so you know that's an update there it's good to know that he's back healthy and kind of in the mix there at Mike and he's someone that you know played a, a full year as a true freshman in 2019 so and that's really the the injury roundup um, I'm sure we'll talk more about everything else that he said and what went on but yeah like you said that the first day back especially since you know we haven't really talked football in a while there's a lot of housekeeping stuff on day one yeah and a couple of spots that stood out to me specifically maybe even more than the secondary or the defensive line when you talk about Malachi Moore and Phil Mathis uh, the interior offensive line spots, Emil, of course, a returning starter. So you know what you've got with, with him, mm-hmm. uh, but you're still sort of transitioning to center, although you've got a sixth-year senior in Chris Owens, who has certainly made his fair share of starts at that position, including in the college football playoff uh, to end the 2020 season. Uh, but Pierce Quick is one of those guys that you consider there on the interior Um it should be an interesting spring for Doug Marone. If Emil's limited and or out really throughout the spring, uh, the potential there for some some really interesting combinations at the guard spot. And, and again, even if Quick and Ekior aren't able to go much or at all, uh, there's some guys that have been in this program for a while, and there's also some guys with versatility 
uh, that fall into that category when you talk about going from tackle to guard or maybe even guard tight end and tackle in an instance or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you obviously want to have everybody healthy, but when you have um, spots open uh, like you do on the offensive line, you know, having in the meal maybe a way you know to see what you have in some guys is kind of beneficial. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the position versatility. I think of Kendall Randolph. You know, he can play tackle, who can play guard, who's obviously been that pseudo tight end the last couple of seasons. Uh, a guy like Tommy Brown, I think, has worked with the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a guy that can play tackle, but we've seen him maybe more so at guard of late. And, um, you know, Amari Kite is another player, you know, that we've seen both from the outside of the offensive line and in those interior positions. And, um, you know, there, there's other guys at the interior spots, you know, it depends on, on Chris Owens, where they have him. Cause he's a guy that's played center guard and tackle. Uh, if he's at, you know, guard or tackle, then Darian Dalcourt gets some opportunities, at center um you know i'd be interested to see what's going on with the true freshmen because you know they updated their roster and, and jc latham's listed six six three twenty five. the guy came in you know ready to go on day one so i think those true freshmen are gonna make some noise on the offensive line so for me just the combinations like you said there there's so many ways that they can go about you know, trying to find the five best players um that the offensive line in my opinion is is the most fascinating uh, position group to follow this spring because of all the different ways that they could go about trying to find that group. Yeah, by the time we get to April seventeenth, I won't be surprised by much when their <laughs> when their first group goes out there because of everything Charlie just said between position versatility, between newcomers, even guys that project more at tackle big picture wise. We've certainly seen here in the recent past, uh, let alone big picture wise. We've seen Evan Neal work inside initially. We've seen Alex Leatherwood as a sophomore start at guard before going to left tackle for his final two seasons. So you said it, they're best five. And that's what the quest always is for Nick Saban and the offensive line coaches that have been through the program now. It sits with Doug Marone. Find the best five, get them on the field in the in the five places they need to be and uh, typically, that's that's the way it's going to work with the Alabama offensive line. With Mechie limited and or out at wide receiver, I think it gets very fascinating at that position because you are already holding basically an open audition for spots, not just in the mid-rotation, but right up there at the top of the rotation with Mechie. And if he's not out there or limited a good bit, uh, your first three become sort of a crapshoot, although we've seen Slade Bolden, you know, in that mix on the heels of Jalen Waddle's injury last year. But, you know, if I'm a wide receiver at Alabama right now, even if I'm a walk on, I'm feeling like I got a shot at a rotational spot right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and if, if Mechie or with Mechie out, uh, Slade Bolden's your most experienced receiver. And he's a guy I believe started three games last year. So uh, a lot of inexperience there, but a lot of opportunity. And that's really what Nick Saban harped on when he was talking about these injuries is, um, you know, it, it gives guys uh, more reps that probably or maybe wouldn't have gotten in the past. And you know, I would, I would imagine that the first group looks something like Slade Bolden and, um, Xavier Williams and, and Javon Baker to start out the spring. You know, those are the guys that we really saw to close out last year as reserves. And um, you know, my understanding is probably that those guys were 
we're going through drills first. And honestly, on day one in shorts, that doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, things can change. And like we've just talked about, there's going to be plenty of chances for those guys to, you know, move up and down that pecking order for them to even establish that, um, you know, throughout these spring practices and heading into the summer. But, you know, it gives guys like Trayshawn Holden and Thayu Jones Bell. Um, more opportunities than maybe they would have seen. Um, you, you have the newcomers in uh, Ja'Cory Brooks and Ajay Hall and Christian Leary uh, who are going to get you know, chances to maybe see some first-team reps or even you know work with the second team, which can be very beneficial for a young player. And you have the walk-ons, uh, Lanier, the guy that uh, we saw a little bit last year, not a ton. I mean, it's a prime opportunity for him. So the wide receiver position, yeah, they're going to get another one in the summer, but it's a group when you just lay it out there is really, really inexperienced. And you take John Mechie out of the mix and, you know, it's the most inexperienced group on the roster. And so this is a very important time of year for these guys to just to start to, to learn the system, to get comfortable and to, you know, start to guys to separate themselves from the pack. So, yeah, wide receiver without Mechie, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out this spring. A couple of springs ago, John Mechie had the big A-Day performance, and you sort of walked away thinking, well, that's nice for two or three years from now because you still had Judy, you still had Devontae, you still had Ruggs, um, you, you still had Jalen Waddle. So uh, it didn't quite resonate in terms of it being an immediate impact type situation for John Mechie, but if that happens in this spring game coming up next month, uh, I think it could very much translate to a uh, role of significance for, for at least one of these wide receivers. They actually need to see a couple of three of them sort of take those type of steps here in the next four or five weeks. Hey, before we get out of here, Charlie, you talked about it earlier in relation to Christian Harris and uh, Shane Lee and what he played through last year at the linebacker position. But I know Nick was asked about Christian Harris and maybe his uh, role or his primary role for 2021. And it's sensible to think because we've seen others before him do it kind of make that move to the, the Mike linebacker position, or at least the guy at the position that's on the field on an every down basis. He pretty much did that last year, even with Dylan Moses back, both those guys qualified as every down guys uh, in 2020. But as we know, there is that dude, the guy at inside linebacker. And uh, Nick got a little animated in sort of breaking down, <laughs> breaking down the possibilities. But at the same time, once you get past some of the uh, the theatrics of Nick, pretty informative and, and then also not exactly revealing everything on the first day of spring practice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it goes back to what you were talking about with Mechie. Um, you know, he was the A-Day game MVP. I, I believe I asked him about just Mechie's performance, and he kind of went on a mini rant about us wanting to make players into stars after the spring. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the route that he took with, with that question uh, on Friday, you know, basically saying that he knows that us as reporters – I uh, want all the answers to all the questions in the spring. Uh, but, you know, they do things a little differently this time of year. And he did answer the question, though. That's that's one thing about Saban is, you know, he's he's going to you know, vent his frustrations or, you know, have fun with us in the, the way that he thinks it's fun. But he's going to answer the question. And he did say that, um, you know, Christian Harris uh, will, will play both uh, Mike and Will linebacker. Um, he's done that in the past. He's played at the money spot when they're, 
um, you know, in their dime formation. But he's also mentioned that guys like Jalen Moody can play both. Um, you know, he he made sure to mention Shane Lee as an option at Mike linebacker. So I think those are you know obviously names to watch there and how they can uh, go about um, you know just lining up from a defensive standpoint in the middle of that defense. And you know oh, by the way, I mean we still don't know what's going to happen with Henry Toa Toa because that could throw a wrench in the whole shebang in terms of what they do mm-hmm. opposite of Christian Harris. So uh, I think that's one of the things too is you know you, you want all the answers at this point, and I'm I'm the same way. I mean hell couple days before spring practice started, I put out depth charts. But um, this is a time to experiment. You know, they have guys that, you know, are, are dealing with some injuries. Some might be minor, some might be more significant, but you know, they hold them out because it's the spring and that allows them to, to mix things up a little bit, which is what they want to do this time of year. So inside linebacker, yeah, I mean, they have options, but um, I, I think that Christian Harris obviously is going to be on the field um, next fall. It's just a matter of where. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from a competition standpoint opposite him. And again, you know, you never know what's going to happen when they, they might add a, another piece of that puzzle. Yeah, you know, and the front can play a role in that, too. And I think it did last year because, you know, once LeBron Ray went out early, they didn't really have that guy to go with Christian Barmore in pass rush situations up front. So I think they were more inclined to go with kind of a three-man front, keep Christian out there as a pass rusher in in certain situations, and Dylan in there in the dime at the at the the Mac position, and kind of just roll with it. So um, some of that'll hinge, I think, too, on can they get another guy to go along with what you hope to be a healthy LeBron Ray, who you anticipate being out there as a defensive lineman. Uh, in those dime rabbits packages, but can they get a Tim Smith to come along to help in that regard? Or, you know, maybe it's a veteran like Mathis, maybe a Boygby, Byron Young. I mean, there's a lot of options, but that's where they're, they're in a good, in a good spot in a lot of ways. They they can consider a lot of things between the front and the linebacker levels. And you said it, who knows with Henry Toa Toa or no Toa Toa though, it looks like they're going to be in a good spot at inside linebacker. Hey, Charlie, we're going to get out of here, get back to uh, the Sunday madness. And of course, a huge Monday, as we told you earlier in the podcast, the Alabama women's team early 11 a.m. Tip off against the North Carolina Tar Heels in a 7-10 game, Alabama, the seven seed out there in San Antonio, Jordan Lewis, Jasmine Walker, Araya Copeland, Alabama's big three, We'll see how far those ladies can carry this Alabama women's basketball team on the women's side of things. And then, of course, late night with Herb Jones, John Petty, Javon Quinterly, Jawan Gary, Nate Oates, the rest of the gang, as Alabama takes on the Maryland Terrapins. Charlie, as always, appreciate you taking the time. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. Charlie Potter with us here on the Bama Online Podcast. You should be as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. If you don't mind, leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would help us out tremendously. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us. And keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for all things Crimson Tide.